James chapter 3. We pick back up here in verse 13. We'll finish chapter 3. And James here in his writing of his epistle to the believers in this area, mostly of the ones that are reading this letter are Jews who've been born again, who've come to, to know who Jesus is as the Messiah that they've been waiting for and been hearing their whole life. And James continues to exhort these believers in the fellowship who wanted to become teachers of the word of God. Teachers of the word or at least somehow want to share their insights or revelations of what they know of about God. So this is the early church, one of the very earliest churches. This epistle is probably one, if not the earliest epistle written to the church. By James, the half-brother of Jesus, the Messiah. Now understand, it is not enough simply to stand before the people and say words. Lots of people can stand up and just say words. But you must have something to say, and that is where the spiritual wisdom comes in. Knowledge enables you to take something apart. You can take it apart, and it's easy to take things apart. Some of those guys take things all apart, and then they wish, oh, we should have never taken it apart. And some people can do the same thing with the Word of God. They think they can just take it apart, and they can read the words. But when it comes to just knowledge, but then the question is, is do you have wisdom? And are you able and enables you to put it back together and apply it rightly in context of the words you're using? That's a whole nother level. To take the word of God and to simply teach the word for people as by the power of the Holy Spirit is help them to understand and apply it to their lives. And we will see today, James highlights the contrast between not only what he talked about earlier in the letter, about very heavily last week, as you could imagine, on the tongue and the lack of control of the tongue, and how important it is to have control over the tongue. But here he finishes and continues in this letter about not only controlling the tongue, but what comes off that tongue is very important. It can be one of true wisdom that's coming off that tongue, or it could be false wisdom. It could be heavenly wisdom, or it could be worldly wisdom. It could be God's wisdom, or it could be man-made wisdom. And that is very important, what comes off that tongue. Now in Proverbs 4, 7, it's a wise thing that we read. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. <laughs> we should be asking for God's wisdom in the things that God's called you to do in the workplace. That God's called you to, do, to manage within the family. You need wisdom to be able to have those relationships and dynamics between relationships and family. And how to deal with neighborly issues. How to deal with that car, the, the, the car mechanic who says that he's going to fix your car. But there's something that's that discernment that says something doesn't seem right. See, we need to ask God for wisdom and fixing things, and not only fixing things, but how to apply it rightly and good, and especially when it comes to the Word of God. Now, in the heavenly wisdom that comes from God, and then there's this man-made wisdom that does not come from God, we see here in James chapter 3, verse 13, starts by saying, or continues by saying, Who is wise and an understanding among you? That's a question mark. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So at the very beginning here of James chapter 3 verse 13, he asks a very uh, rhetorical question to his readers. To those who want to teach the word of God. Who thinks it's okay just to stand up and just teach whatever they want to teach, however they want to teach in their own form and timing and, and all the likes. He asks the question, who's, who's, who is wise and understanding among you? If you are, if you are wise, if you do have understanding, then 
it let it be shown in your, your good conduct and how you live your life has to be matching. You can't just stand up there and say all kinds of godly things, but your life doesn't reflect that in your life on a day-to-day basis. It, 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 it doesn't, it's not to happen that way. You say you're a Christian, but you don't live as a Christian. Stop saying you're a Christian. If you live your life however you want to in sinful ways, don't please do not stand up and teach the word of God. We learned last week, you are going to be judged more harshly, stricter. Yes, when we get to the Bema Seat as a believer, you will be judged even stricter as a teacher of the word of God. Be very careful not to take that freely and so easily. So we say James simply is asking this rhetorical question to get their attention because James addresses the person who is wise in an understanding. The word in the Greek word for wise is sophios, which was a technical term used as a teacher or a scribe or a rabbi. He's saying, oh, so you're a rabbi or a teacher? You're a scribe here and you have understanding of the word of God? You're going to stand up and start teaching the people? Is this what I'm talking? Is this what you're saying to me here? Because he first told his teacher, the teachers there, if you're going to do that, be careful how you talk, how it comes off your tongue, the tone, and everything else. Be very careful of what how it comes off your tongue, because it's a reflection of from the heart. But not only is it not only how you should talk, but he also addresses here today how you, it speaks how you are actually living your life. Please don't, don't get up and, and teach when your life doesn't reflect the word of God that you're teaching. Don't do it. See, who is wise? Let him show by conduct. See, wisdom is not mere head knowledge. You, a lot of people have head knowledge. A lot of people say I'm a Christian and have a lot of head knowledge. And they can quote a lot of things. They've got a great memory. But real wisdom and real understanding is reflected in the life how you live. That is when you really make sure you know they truly understand what they're saying. By their good conduct. See, wisdom and understanding is like faith. They are invisible, inner inner qualities of understanding. If a person considers himself to be wise and have understanding of the word, it is fair to expect that an invisible inner quality should show itself in a very practical life outwardly. Here, James told us how to judge if a person is truly, really wise and understanding of the word. How are we going to do that? He's going to show it to us because wisdom is not measured by degrees, but by deeds. I don't care how many degrees you have in theology. There's a lot of people I've met who have a lot of degrees in theology. But they are so contrary to the word of God, that paper has no value to me. Because their deeds do not reflect it in what they're teaching. He says, not only in your conduct, but it's a very more, even more specific. His works are done and the meekness of wisdom. So not only are you doing good things for God, but you're doing it in a certain way to reflect the heart of the person. And that is the meekness of wisdom. Because true wisdom is also evident by its meek manner. A quiet strength, a humbleness in the things that they're doing. Those who do their good works in a way designs to bring attention to themselves shows they lack true wisdom. If they say, oh, I went out and I did this for God and look at me, look at me, look at me and give me all the praise and buy my book and all these things and try to get my attention on me, that's not true wisdom. Because the word of God says we should do that in what? Meekness of wisdom. 
A humbleness. A truly wise man or woman is humble. Of one who is wise is humble. So how do you know if someone's wise? Watch their life and see if they're what? Humble. That's the outward expression that you know if they're truly in the true wisdom, a godly wisdom in their life. He continues here, and he's going to give two contrasts here. In verses 14 through 16, we're going to see the characteristics of someone who uses false wisdom or worldly wisdom, a man-made wisdom. Look at what he says here. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. So understand this. As James is writing this, he makes it very clear. True wisdom makes no room for these following characteristics outwardly at all or inside of the inner person. First, what he says is bitter envy, which is a I call supercharged jealousy. I mean supercharged. Because of the challenge it was having in the early churches is once they had this freedom that only the rabbis could teach the Jewish faith. Only the rabbis could teach the Torah. And they were restricted. But now in the freedom of Jesus Christ, you could take the word of God and literally teach the word of God and share the word of God. This was new freedoms of people. They didn't know they could ever do that. But... James is trying to say, you, but you're not called to teach the Word of God. You're not given the gift of teaching the Word of God. You're just saying it because you want to hear yourself or you want to get attention. Because only the rabbis used to get the attention. The scribes used to get attention. Now you can get the attention. Your heart's not right. And the reason what's striving you to become these teachers that are causing problems within the church is because you had such this bitter envy of not being able to do and be in the position of a religious position in the church. Do you think that's new or old thing? No, no, it still happens in churches today. Men and women think they, they I, I, I'm called to teach. And I'm just going to walk right in there and I'm just going to start teaching and I'm going to stand up there because I'm, you may not call it that because you're so spiritual that you don't have envy and you're not jealous, but it's really what it is. Because you don't get to be in a position to be the one up teaching. And I'm telling you, anyone who's thinking about teaching the word of God, be very careful when you start thinking about that because you're going to be judged more strictly. You're going to be in the, the fishbowl. Everyone's going to watch your life and everything you say and do and not do. The enemy will be after you and will do and all kinds of squirrely things in people's lives to try to bring you down. Be very careful. So he's they're right here, but here's a person that James is calling out saying there's bitter envy or selfish ambition. There's competitiveness. There's rivalry going on within the church that cannot happen. That is never supposed to happen. There's a decent and order fashion that, how God works things out. He's the one that puts people into positions of teaching the word of God and serving in all the different. We're all different parts of the body. And you don't get to choose that. God chooses the spiritual gift he gives you to serve in the body for his benefit and his glory and his purpose. You don't get to, and I don't get to make that decision. Trust me, I would have never made the decision and choice to be a pastor back when I first got saved. The first time I ever even thought about going and helping in the ministry is my wife made me. In the children's ministry. You're going to come in here and color with these kids because yeah, you're going to have to help me. Okay, I can color. I can cut things out. Okay. And keep kids in ruling. Oh, I can, I'm in the military. I can keep them in great order. I'll have them all marching by the time I'm done with the service. Whoever imagined, <laughs> oh my God, that we did all of a sudden, a couple of months later, go, you know, I, 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 I can teach that part. And Kelly finally says, you could teach that. Please, you start teaching. And so we both worked and we both back and forth. Whoever imagined that. I, I trust me. If you knew me back 
26 years ago. <laughs> you know, you would say, that, would never, that guy's never going to teach the Word of God. Don't even come near it. But by the grace of God, right? By his mercy and his grace. See, true wisdom has absolute no, any room for bitter envy in the hearts of a person to stand up and do anything regards to the teaching of the word of God. Bitter envy and self-seeking is never, because it's absolutely opposite of the meekness of wisdom that he mentions in verse 13. Because if you have this critical, contentious, fight-provoking manner of spirit about you, that is not what is you should be doing is teaching the word of God. Should not be looking to, for, for position within, a, in, within the church body like that. Because you come to a term with the fact that if your words are bitter, your heart is bitter. If, if your words are bitter, that means your heart is bitter. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Matthew 12, 34. So when you say, oh, that little, that, that bitter, that, that was a bite. Then you know their heart's not right at that moment in time. That's not true wisdom that was coming off their mouth. We must understand that envy and strife are clear indicators to you and I. That someone is not in the right heart in regards to wisdom from above, but, but is worldly or man-made. Because when you look at this word envy alone, is this selfish ambition, this zeal for, I got zeal for God. That doesn't mean it's godly. It doesn't mean it's godly. A lot of people take, go get it, and take it to hill, and, and that mentality of just do whatever it takes and get it done, kind of like a zeal that is godly. It doesn't mean it's godly. Because it's not true wisdom from above. It's actually self-thinking, self-made, man-made wisdom leaning on their own understanding. Because it says here, and very clearly it says in verse 15, this wisdom does not descend from above. And, and understand, it's, and it does not boast or it doesn't lie. It doesn't go against the truth that you're teaching. It's got to be in sync. What you're saying has to be in sync with what you're doing and saying and living your life. It's got to be in sync. It cannot. If not, you're going to be lying and boasting. And, and boasting is always prideful. Always prideful. Pride loves to boast. There's nothing prouder than a wisdom of men. When you think you're wise in your own mind, you're a prideful man. And those things we must keep uh, watch of and be very careful with because it can creep up on you. Why? Because he says here, this shows, this wisdom comes from an earthly, sensual, or demonic places. How did this happen to him? It's earthly, sensual, or demonic. We, we also see it as the world, the flesh, and the devil. We see those three enemies of a believer that's highlighted in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It's the same enemies for, who, that come against us all the time. It's something that is so worldly, it, it brings you down. It's so fleshly, it's all within yourself. It's so fleshly thinking, it will bring you down. Or it could be demonic. Anyway, it's, it's an enemy against you and I. 1 John 2.16 says it this way. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. So how do we know if someone is not, when they speak and they're interacting with you or they're teaching the word of God, if it is if it's true wisdom, if it's godly wisdom, you will not sense the envy and the strife. You won't see things that are very, very um, worldly talking. 
That's why I get a little squirrely when I catch clips of things coming from teachers of, 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 of other places. And they're, they're acting and looking and sounding and speaking just like the world while they teach the word. And I say, I wish I knew them. I could send them the scripture. But I pray for them. Because I know I don't have to do anything. God hears and sees all things. They're going to be judged more strictly. They may be hip. They may be on the new age movement and all this, making feel people really feel comfortable because they're cussing just like everybody else cusses while they're teaching the word. That's, that can't happen. On multiple levels, as we talked about the tongue, cussing and cursing is absolutely against, it's sin. It goes against God. So you can't rationalize your cussing and, and, and sit in and, and cursing at the job site like that's different than when you're at church. I don't do it at church. I hope not. Matter of fact, I'll show you a lot of grace if you first walk in here and you're not a believer and you're just getting saved and you, some words get slipped out. You will see no reaction from me. You can be a brand new believer and those things can slip out and you'll see no reaction from me. But if you say you've been walking with the Lord for six months to a year to a year and a half too, I'll be looking at you. Because I would say, ooh, let's pray for you right now because something is not right with the heart because you shouldn't be cussing and swearing like the worldliness. It shouldn't happen. If God changed you, if you're born again, there's a changed life. You should be trying to walk away from and get away from that sin. Not accept it and tolerate it. See, the Bible contains many examples of foolishness of man's wisdom. If you remember Abraham, he leaned on his own understanding when Egypt went into famine and, and uh, it creeped into there in Canaan. First thing he thought is, let's get out of here and go to Egypt. That was a big mistake. He leaned on his own understanding. That was not God's wisdom. That was his own leaning on his own understanding of fear of, fear of hunger. You remember the Romans uh, uh, leadership that was taking Paul to Rome to put him in jail and to, to, to judge him? Remember that in Acts 27? They were at the port and Paul said, hey, God showed me we are not to get on this boat. This, this is going to be a major storm. This is not good. And all the boat experts said what? Oh, are you kidding me? We know what we're doing. We've been, we've been sailing these lands. We're going and Paul says, I'm telling you, we're not going to make it. Do you remember the story? What happened? Almost there. And then all of a sudden God showed, told Paul what? Tell everyone, do not get off this boat, even if it feels like it's going to sink. Everyone will be saved. And what happened in the scene? Those wise Sailors said, oh, no, no, get in the little diggy there and, and we're going to get on the little boat and we're going to go into safety and let everyone else die, right? And he says, captain or whoever the leader, tell them, don't get off the boat or they're not going to be saved. If they stay here, they'll be saved. And they, they made the right choice of staying on and they all lived to regret it, but they lived. See, God was giving Paul godly wisdom these experts were relying on their own understanding of their experience of, of boating, and they were wrong. Be very careful, my brothers and sisters, if you're an expert in some field, some topic. You need God's wisdom every day to do what you're doing. If you don't, you could make one decision good today, but be very off track on the next day at work and cause a lot of problems. You could be right this one time here, but be very careful in your decision-making what you do with your family and how you, where and how you do with your family, how you spend your money and where you... Be very... Seek God's wisdom all the time. If not, you can make some major decisions that will affect your family. See, when God's wisdom is at work... There is a sense of humility and submission. You want God 
to get all the glory. You want God's will in that situation. Nothing will be, would be acceptable except for God's will and for his glory. That you know, you know you're in the right mind. You have the right heart in regards to the decision making. You have no desire to compare yourself with any other Christian in regards to what they do or not do within or without the church. You don't compare yourself with other Christians. You compare yourself with only Christ and what God, Christ is showing you to be your example. It's all about him and what you compare him and all of us of what we're going to do for him that brings him glory and bring, it pleases him. It doesn't matter what the other Christians are doing. It only matters what he thinks. And that's why in verse 16 it says, For where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. You know that it is not of God because there's envy going every which way. Jealousy going everywhere. There's strife going everywhere. There's, there's this self-seeking going. I, I, you're boasting to get, try to, to prove that you should be something more than what you are. You're, the boasting is everywhere. It even goes against And you might even lie against the truth in some way, somehow, just to get your position or point across to win. But James is saying that's earthly, sensual, and demonic. We also see that he says if there's envy and self-seeking exists, there's going to be confusion in the situation that you're dealing with. And every evil thing. Understand the origin determines outcome. Worldly wisdom will produce worldly results. Godly wisdom will produce spiritual results. James is very clear. Worldly wisdom produces trouble in one's life. You want to know why you have troubles in your life? Examine them. You'll find that some of those could be just pure testings to refine you. But many times, you bring trouble in your own life because of the ungodly, worldly decisions you make in your life. You go places you shouldn't be going. You're hanging and dwelling with people and, and acting and, and playing along with people you should not be that are ungodly. You're watching and hearing and seeing things and playing things out that you shouldn't be hearing and listening and watching. First Thessalonians tells us very clearly to stay away from all forms of evil. But why do people play around with evil all day long? Voluntarily. But we see here there's confusion. Confusion in the Greek word here means disorder from instability. When things are not stable in the environment that you're dealing with and you're dealing with worldly wisdom, there's always confusion. So you're just simply having a conversation. Something doesn't seem right. Seems like you're butting heads with someone and you're just, something doesn't just jive with you. You need to stop and think, I just, this is confusing. Hello? Bing, 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 bing. There's a red flag flying. It's confusing. Why? Because it is. That means there's someone is applying worldly wisdom in the situation. That could be you or someone else who's trying to coerce you into this worldly wisdom. And it's bringing confusion. That is a sign for you to alert. When he, James says every evil thing, it means worthless, of no value. The things that they're suggesting, the things you're suggesting, the things you think are wise and good, will turn out to have be worthless, a waste of time. Then you know it's of worldly wisdom and not true wisdom. What's the best example in the scripture you can think of right now? And that is the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. Worldly leaders... 
We're going to create the Tower of Babel. This is beautiful. This is grand. This is great. No one's ever done it before. Oh, what beautiful abilities and reaching up and we're going to reach God and and we're just going to be so this place is this building is going to be worshipped and oh it just goes on and on and on and you can see the guys hanging around there boy this is the best engineers in the world all thinking this is a great idea but we know what the scripture says don't we Not only was this a most terrible, most foolish and sinful project that any man could come up with. But what was the result of that endeavor of those men? Confusion. We call it today. If someone's babbling, they're what? Confused. And so these men, they just brought nothing but confusion because why? It was going against God. It was sinful. So you want to know and how to examine what goes on and if it's worldly? Just see if there's confusion. See if there's strife. See if there's some bitterness, some butting of heads, something going on. Then you know there's worldly wisdom involved and it's not good because it's sensual, it is earthly, or it's demonic. Someone's lusting to get power to do something, what they want to do. It does not appear that God was at work in this church that uh, James was writing to. In chapter 4, when we get that, we'll see that James will deal with some more trouble in the congregation of that church. It doesn't end with just people saying things that they shouldn't be saying and, and teaching that they shouldn't be teaching. But we'll see some additional problems there. But one reason the world is in such a mess today is because men have refused to accept the wisdom of God. Why are we watching our world fall apart? It's because they're relying on the wisdom of the world. And it's demonic. It's sensual. It's earthly. It is not godly. And that is why we're watching the confusion in this world today. It's not complicated. I know you get it. Because you know the word. You've got the Holy Spirit. You know what's going on. So we're not sitting there going, I don't know why this is happening. You don't say that because you're taught the word of God. You know clearly what's happening. But you know that's not the norm out there. Do you know that? Do you know most people think that there is, it's, it's, it's just something they haven't found the right answer. Yes, you're right. Because it's not a godly answer that they're pursuing. Everything they're doing is all about power and about man and about their ways and control. It's demonic as we know because the end times are here. We see how the things are being set up because you know Ezekiel 38. You know Revelation. You know the word of God. This is not a surprise to us. But it is for the the majority of the people. A truly wise person does not seek glory or gain. He seeks graciousness and giving. These are characteristics of a person who is is godly wisdom. They're very gracious. They're very giving. There is no strings attached. They freely love. There's nothing to look for and gain come back to them. And the most important thing we can do in our church is not measure our ministries by the worldly standards, but by the word of God. Not by the wisdom of man and acting like this is some kind of organization and we're supposed to run it like the top 50 Fortune 500 company and have all these things. And we, many times people who, are, who come from those in corporate entities or some kind of organization that teaches the latest and greatest leadership styles and all this, they're just man-made wisdom. And it goes against the word of God. I assure you we're never going to apply it into the church. 
We go by the word of God and let the wisdom of God gives us the wisdom to how to lead and to go within the, within the organi- organism, not the organization here. This is a body. This is not a company. This is a body. This is not an organization. This is a family. And it's living and breathing. And our nourishment is what? The word of God. Not the wisdom of man. See, it is a serious thing to be a troublemaker in God's family. One of the sins that God hates, and I do use the word hate, is that of sowing discord among brethren. We see that in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. Do you want God to go against you? Show, start sowing a little discord among the brothers and sisters and watch how God's going to deal with you. James continues, and he gives us now the heavenly wisdom, the godly wisdom viewpoint of what we will see in one's life who has God's wisdom. Look at this, verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first what? Pure. Then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. So when you see someone who has godly wisdom, these are the things you'll see in their lives coming out, played out in their lives, and the actual normal, practical, day-to-day kind of life here. And the first thing he puts up right here is that at first pure, it means The most important things is holiness. A holiness, a purity in their heart. It's not referencing sexual purity. It's talking about the absence of a a deliberate sinful attitude or motives in those people's hearts. That's the first thing that has to be settled. First, it needs to have a holy life, a pure life. One that's walking away from an attitude, it's okay to sin. It's okay to have motives of sins as long as you get what you get. And these characteristics are wisdom is, of God are very wonderful. They're great. It's beautiful because it's full of love. It's a giving heart. It's consistent. It's a holiness. That's what we want in our lives. So if you're having heavenly wisdom, a godly wisdom, there's a purity. That's the first thing. There's a holiness. There's a change. There's a lot, something about your life that is so different. There's a presence of wisdom in your life that people can't explain. Other than you're a godly person. The second thing we'll see is peaceable. This wisdom is then peaceable. If you have this wisdom of God, there's a peaceable. There's, this is the one of the great words of character descriptions of the New Testament. It's only seen right here. And it's that presence of wisdom. It's that peace-loving, considerate, patient type of person. You're patient. You're peace-loving. You're considerate. This is a peaceable person who has the wisdom of God present in their life. Man's wisdom leads to competition. Man's wisdom is always about striving to get ahead. It's always the, at war. We see that and we'll see, talk about this when we get to James chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. But God's wisdom leads to peace. Based on the holiness. Not based on compromise. Many times people say, oh, I'll have peace, but I'll compromise. Meaning, I'll lower my standards even if it goes against the word of God just to keep the peace. That is not what you're to do. The next word is the wisdom is gentle. It means the man who is epiakis, is a, the Greek word is a man who knows when it is actually wrong to apply the strict letter of the law. There's a gentleness. He is gentle and kind. He's, he has this reality in his life. He has every reason to be stern. He has every reason to come and be stern and to corrective of that person, that man who's in sin. But he's gentle in how he approaches. 
He knows how to forgive when strict justice gives him every perfect right to rebuke that person. Why don't you go talk to him, Pastor? Why don't you? Did you see what did you hear? Oh, I see in here clearly. I've known that for a month. And I keep praying for him and waiting for God to give me an opportunity to gently rebuke what's going on in his life. I'm going to trust him, give grace here, and allow God to work in his life. He's a brand new believer. Wait a minute. We should go call him out. No, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit call him out. And when God asks me to help, be in assistance and give him the word encouragement, I'll do it, but I'm going to be gentle. Someone who's been around Christian for 20 years and they find themselves in sin, don't you think I'm not going to come alongside you and say, what's going on in life? Tell me, are you struggling? No, everything's perfect, Pastor. Well, let me see what the, let me show you what the Holy Spirit has just showed me. Why? Because there's an expectation of someone who's been walking with the Lord longer. They should be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit, should they not? But to be gentle. Another word we can use is a sweet reasonableness. To ability to extend to others this kindly consideration we would wish to receive from others. A sweet reasonable. I'm going to be reasonable. That's what it means to be gentle, this word, is to be reasonable with love. A sweetness. Not a bitterness. Not a, not a porky pine-ish thing. Not, not nipping like a, a sheep nips and bites. No, 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 no. Gentleness, reasonableness. We see the next one he uses is the, this wisdom is willing to yield. It means not to be stubborn. Conciliatory. It's only seen here in the scripture in the New Testament is this word right here is in this place of the scripture. And it is the opposite of being stiff and unbending. It, the Greek word is eupithis. It means that it means to easily to persuade, not to in a sense of it's being not being too pliable or weak in regards to what your convictions are, but true wisdom is not rigid, it is willing to listen. It's willing to be skilled to knowing wisely when to just willing to yield to the conversation at that point in time. Because sometimes you can come against with someone who your conversation with is so stiff-necked about things, so rock-solid in something, even though it's not true and right and good. You're willing to use God's wisdom to say, I'm just going to yield just to right about now. I'll reapproach it a different way when God shows me how to go about a different way. Parents, isn't that not true when it comes to raising your children? You think one way at this certain age, you can just go, boom, let's talk about this. And the next time when they get to a certain age, you're like, that doesn't work. Let me, we're going to have to try a different approach. We're going to have to right flank or left flank. We're going to do something different because I just can't come right to the, they're not receptive. Are you with me? You'll be willing to yield because God's wisdom says just yield at this point in time. The next one is, this wisdom is full of mercy. The word full here in the Greek means controlled by. You're controlled by mercy. It does not judge others strictly on the basis of the law, but will extend a, this generous, generous hand of full of mercy in the situation at hand. We see it in Matthew 7, 2, do we not? That this wisdom knows that the same measure of mercy we grant to others is the same measure God will use with us. Oh, my brothers and sisters, show mercy. If you don't know what to do, show mercy. Because that's how you're going to be measured as well. We also see it in Luke 6, 36. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father is also what? merciful. Do you not want the characteristic of God in your life? You want to know how you want a characteristic of your life? Be merciful. 
have mercy in your life as a trait, full of it, completely controlled by it. Our Lord's parable that speaks to this characteristic is Luke 10 of the Good Samaritan. One that someone went out of their way to help someone else they said they would never help before. A, 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 a non-Jew helping a Jew. And not only helping, but taking care all the way up to make sure there, that man was in a place of safety and nourished. Most people miss this in Luke 10. Go back and read it. Most people say, oh yeah, he gave some money and take him to the end. He stayed with that man and helped him through the critical point. Then gave said, when I come back, I'll give you more money to whatever you had to spend to take care of this man. That, that's showing mercy. That's who we should be. Then it continues, he says, this wisdom is full of what? Good fruits. People who are faithful are fruitful. You want to see a faithful man? You'll see a very fruitful outcome from their life. We're fruit inspectors. You can see it in their lives. One thing is talk. But it's a whole other thing when your life is producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. God's wisdom does not make a life empty. It makes it full. So many people who come to Christ think, oh, I have to give up so much. Are you kidding me? You're going to be fuller than you've ever had in your entire life. This wisdom can be seen by the fruit it produces. Why? Because God's wisdom is practical. It changes a life. It produces good works to the glory of God. It is a natural byproduct of a relationship with God. The next one is this wisdom is without partiality, without uncertainty, no doubt, without judging. This includes those who curiously inquire on the faults of others to find something to be critical about them. Yes, that's speaking to you. Not here, other churches, but not here. Someone who is walking has a presence of God's wisdom in their lives does not look for the faults of others. They're not critically looking. There's no judging. There's no... There's no discrimination in your life. You're not looking at people in a discriminatory way at all, at any category. That is not who you are. You realize they're in the image of God just like you are. They're a sinner saved by grace just like you are. Or a sinner that soon will be receive Jesus Christ and be a sinner saved by grace. But there's no uncertainty. There's no doubt. When you, when you lean on the world's wisdom, you are pressured from one side to the other to change your mind and take a viewpoint of theirs. It's called marketing. It happens all the time. Worldly wisdom's constantly pushing and prodding and pushing and trying to coerce you and I to follow their worldly ways. I see it all the time. People come, oh, pastor, this. And I'll just go, who have you been listening to? That's my first, usually first question. If you've been around me, I'll say, who have you been listening to? Who's, who's the teacher? CNN? Fox News? Who are you reading? Who, who's the teachers, the godly teacher? Oh, it's the best teacher you'll ever. Okay. Let me, who is that? Because what's coming out of your mouth is not godly. It's, it's, it's sensual. It's demonic. It goes completely against the word of God. So whoever you're listening to, stop it. It's not, it's not complicated. I'm going to tell you to just stop. 
and just read the Word of God. Stop reading those books. Stop watching those things. Why? Because it's going to bring confusion in your life. It's going to bring all kinds of evil things in your life. Thoughts and motives and, and panics. and Why did you do that? Because I thought the whole world was coming crashing down and, and I was hearing that this is the end times and i got to sell everything and do Stop. Only the Holy Spirit should be telling you what to do and not to do. And stop judging. When you have God's wisdom, you need not waver one bit. You can be decisive and not be afraid in the decisions you make because it's godly wisdom. Wisdom from above brings strength from above. You want strength in your decision making? Then seek God above in the decision making you're making. Then there's this wisdom of without hypocrisy. It means to being sincere. Without pretending to be something that you're not. You're not being an actor. You're not have the facade, the mask on when you're at church to pretend a certain thing. No, no. When you are in godly, heavenly wisdom, there is no hypocrisy. There is no two-faced kinds of things. There's no secret motives and anything else that's going on. But you're seeking just sincerely of God's glory. We see it in Ephesians 4.15. When God's wisdom is at work, there's an openness and honesty. It speaks speaking the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15. Then you know it's heavenly wisdom. And these last two words, partiality and hypocrisy, are these... It's, it's just it's so rampant in the culture and this so rampant in the habitual things but where people just kind of as they're speaking they're only half revealing who they are they're only half revealing the truth that they're telling you they're only half they're half concealing things from you why because they have these hidden agendas and these all these kinds of things that should not be there should be a transparency there should be light there should not be darkness The contrast between God's wisdom and world's wisdom is has there's absolutely no comparison. God's ways and God's thoughts are far above us. 1 Corinthians 2:12 says, "Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Do you know that God has freely given things to you and I to know and to understand for life? Did you know that? Or do you only seek the wisdom of the world? I hope today you understand seeking God's wisdom is far above and greater for your life than anything the world has to offer you. And then verse 18, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Understand, there is a vast difference between man-made results and God-given fruit. There's no comparison. This fruit that he speaks of is, is like a, it has its own seeds within the fruit. And that fruit is like a seed that will bear more fruit as it is sown. So those who make peace will sow peace. Not conflict, not war, not, not strife, not division, not confusion, but peace. Peace from above. God himself is what is sown. The fruit of righteousness is either, is either the fruit we bear Bring forth, which is righteousness in itself. We can see that in Luke 3, 8 and 9, and Romans 6, 22, and Philippians 1, 11. Or it's the fruit we reap, which is the reward of righteousness, which is eternal life. 
Fruit is the product of life. The question is, what kind of fruit is being produced in your life today? Is it good fruit or bad fruit? Because depending on where you sit right now in your relationship with God and your, your complete surrender to God and allow God to work in your life, you're going to be producing good fruit or bad fruit. If you're seeking, leaning upon God's heavenly wisdom, it's going to be good fruit. If you're relying upon sensual, demonic, earth, worldly, earthy kind of logic and understanding and worldliness kind of things, it's going to be bad fruit. You and I have to come to that realization, depending on what kind of fruit you have, with what is going to be sown into people's lives around you. And the fruit that you hand them or they pluck from your life is going to bear that same kind of fruit if they partake of it in their lives. If it's godly wisdom, parents, your children should be plucking good fruit from your life so that they're, what's the seeds that are sown into their life is they've been eating upon good fruit so that you can see good fruit bear what? In their own lives. If you've been sowing bad fruit and those kids are partaking of the bad fruit, guess what happens to your kids? Oh, the apple hasn't fallen far from the tree, has it? Have you ever remember that saying? Because they've been partaking of your fruit from your tree. That's sobering, isn't it? That's a gut check, don't you think? As we share the fruit of God with others, they are fed and satisfied. And they turn and bear fruit themselves. They're satisfied being around you. See, the Christian life is a life of sowing and reaping. We reap just what we sow. You can't get around that law. The Christian who obeys God's wisdom has the presence of wisdom in their life. And their life shows it. You can see it. You partake of that righteousness, that not sin, but righteousness, a peace, not war. There's not conflict. There's no confusion. It's just good and it's right and it's just and it's refreshing when you're around the people. You're encouraged to be around them. And as we live our life for God, that life enables us to allow the Lord to work through your life and to be sown out into the lives of people all around you. And it brings righteousness. It brings peace in the lives of other people and draws them to God. Do you not want that in your life? See, these verses are very good indicators for me in the ministry. And I'll close with this because it's a filter for me. And it should be a filter for you. Because as you listen to all kinds of conversations and people bring things up with you and talk to you, oh, Pastor, I just have a conversation. Can I speak with you? I got something to share with you. Whatever it may be, whatever form it may be, in church or out of church, when you take a listen to this, I always take these verses here of heavenly wisdom and filter it because if I hear envy or jealousy or strife or self-seeking or tensions or confusion and what they're trying to get to me, I'm, I, this is very confusing. I know that it's not godly. It's from hell. I know it's from hell. I know it's dark. I know it's being something's, something's being set up. I just know it. Why? Because the scripture tells me so. I know it's not godly wisdom. But if there's purity in what they're saying, there's peace, there's righteousness, there's mercy, there's grace, there's just this openness and transparency and, and love and stuff, then I know it's from above. 
And so as I've listened to conversation, even in the work environment, I do the exact same thing in the work environment. I don't care what the rank is. I don't care what they're doing. If I'm listening to them, if I sense envy and strife and war and confusion and butting heads and all kinds of stuff, I know it's not godly. And in the work world, lots of times it's not godly. But I know they're approaching, with, approaching me in a dark way, and I have to be very careful. I know I'm being set up. Something, something's just not jiggy. And I don't like when things are not jiggy. See, may God give us wisdom. And may our words as well as our action reflect his goodness. Reflect his gentleness. Reflect his grace. Reflect his love in our lives. Because if so, then you know you have the godly presence of his wisdom. Amen?